Today we're continuing on what we started last week, which was looking at Luke's Christmas narrative. The birth of Christ in Luke's gospel, and we've been looking at that narrative. And at Christmas, I can tell you as a pastor, you always feel we're telling a story that everybody's heard, or many in the church. We're reading passages that have been read over and over again. We're singing songs that are so familiar to people at this time of year. Yet there's something beautiful about those things that we find most familiar and reminding ourselves of the beauty of what our God has done. Reminding ourselves of the beauty of what we call the incarnation, where God himself took on flesh, became a human, came to do what you and I couldn't do, to live a life we're incapable of living, to pay the price for our sin. So we celebrate at Christmas time. And today we're going to look at the most important announcement to ever be made. The most glorious, the most beautiful birth announcement ever. And we're also going to look at an accompanying song that's one of the most beautiful songs to ever be heard. Some of those beautiful, rich words. So today we're in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. But let's all stand for the reading of God's good and holy word. Hear the word of our Lord. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, Praise, Praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass. In all our glory, it's like the flowers of the field. The grass indeed withers, the flowers fade. But your word, O Lord, stands forever. Lord, may this be the word that's faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, we recognize nothing of any eternal significance will be spoken. So speak through your word, we pray. Amen. Well, again, we return today to a passage that if you've grown up in the church, undoubtedly you've heard this passage 
Yet it's a beautiful, glorious announcement of our coming Savior who is born in the city of David. Now, it's interesting who this announcement comes to. It comes to a group of lowly shepherds. And when we look at Scripture, God often is described in various ways. In fact, one of the things I've, I've done often, and I think I've even done it here before, is ask this question. If you were to describe God, what words would you use? If someone said, hey, describe God to me, what are you going to tell them? Some might say, you know, God is good. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is loving. He's patient. He's kind. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere. And yet God is loving, but He's also, because of His love, just. He's holy. He's righteous. And all those descriptions, if that's how you would describe God, all those descriptions are accurate of who our God is. Our God is glorious and magnificent and holy. Yet throughout Scripture, God's often described in pictures. He's often described through comparisons to things that we've seen and we've experienced, though all of these don't completely describe God. In Genesis chapter 15, God's described as a shield. Well, think about a shield. What's a shield do? When you're under attack, a shield is a, a defensive weapon to keep the enemy from harming you. That's who our God is. We have a very real enemy. He's often called a wolf who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And what we have is a God who's like a shield to protect you. In Proverbs 18, it says God's like a strong tower. What's a tower do? Well, in a tower, you look out all around and you see when trouble's coming, when the enemy's advancing, and you can watch for it. And our God is the one who watches for us. He's going to protect us. He's going to be looking out for where the enemy might hit. Jeremiah says God is like living water. On a daily basis, you and I experience thirst. And if you've ever experienced deep thirst where you're what we would call dehydrated, meaning your body is low on water and your entire body is aching and groaning. There's nothing like a drop, a drink of water. Psalm says our God is like keeper in shade. We experience this every day, don't we? You go out in the sun, and when you feel the sun getting too hot, you move, move under the shade, and it's a relief. In the midst of this world that's difficult and hard and challenging, our God brings relief. He's like that shade for you. Hebrews says He's a consuming fire. Isaiah says He's like a judge. Isaiah 42 says He's like a mighty warrior. 
Isaiah 64, 8 is one of 63 verses that says our God is a father. Now all these pictures of God fall short. Even the one I've just mentioned, father. Everybody in here has a father. And even as I say that word father, there's probably some emotion within us that comes about when we say father. Some of you, you may not have known your father. Perhaps he was absent. There's a pain and an ache in that. For others, you may have had a father that was physically present, but emotionally, he was absent. There's a pain in that. Others, you have a, a father who loved and cared for you and provided. And, and when you say father, there's warm, beautiful feelings. So we all have something we think about when we say that word father. That's one of the words used most for God. And we recognize God as a good, perfect father. All of us have imperfect fathers. To all the fathers in this room, we recognize we're not perfect fathers. But we want to point our children to the one who is perfect. So all these pictures we see, we see God as like a rock, a fortress, a shield. But perhaps my favorite picture of God, we see prominently in that famous psalm, Psalm 23. We've all Heard that psalm, even if you don't recognize it when I say it by reference. The Lord is my shepherd. What a beautiful image we get in the Bible of a shepherd, of the lowly, humble shepherd. You see, we see the shepherds throughout Scripture. In fact, the very first shepherd we see in the Bible. He obeys God, and because he obeys God, he's put to death. The first shepherd is murdered for his obedience to God Almighty. Abel is killed by his brother Cain. And we see right there the image of that shepherd. The shepherd, humble, lowly, seeking obedience, Yet it's their obedience, it's their humility, it's their faithfulness that leads them to death. And in these Old Testament shepherds, we see a picture of who God is and who the coming Messiah will be. Again, we see Abraham, the father of Israel. He's a shepherd. Abraham's life He's faithful, he's disobedient, he's faithful, he's disobedient. He looks like us. That's sort of how our life is. We pursue being faithful, we walk with the Lord, and then we look and we go, oh, there's still areas in my life where I'm struggling, where God needs to grow me. That's Abraham. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, says, God shepherded him all his days. Moses the giver of the law in the Old Testament. God prepared him to lead his people through to freedom in 80 years of preparation. Isn't that encouraging? 
took God 80 years to prepare Moses for what he had called Moses to. So if you're sitting here going, hey, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't see God using me. You stay faithful. God's going to use us. Stay faithful. God's not done with you yet. First 40 years of Moses' life, he spends as the son of the princess, spends it in the household of Pharaoh, raised in royalty. God took Moses and said, you're going to know the ways of the Egyptians. You're going to understand their customs, their food, their practices, all of these things. But God says, that's not all you've got to know. You've got to know how to lead a difficult people. So God takes Moses, and at age 40, Moses becomes a shepherd to a group of people, to a group of sheep, and then at age 80, he becomes a shepherd to a people. God prepares Moses by making him a shepherd. David, the great king of Israel, he's a shepherd. There's something powerful about God using these shepherds. And we see today this birth announcement. Out in the region of Bethlehem comes to a group of shepherds. I want to show you a picture. This is um, in Bethlehem, current day. Uh, it's just a few years ago. It's me and a group standing in front of what they call the shepherd's field. This is where the birth announcement could have happened. There's fields all around Bethlehem that look a lot like this. Rocks. A little bit of grass. You see, sheep have to be shown where to eat. The shepherd has to lead them to the grass to eat. Sheep, they have to be shown where the water is often because in Israel, you don't see much water. You have to lift up rocks and look under it and go, here's some water for sheep. And in this field, this is where these shepherds would have stood and been caring for sheep. Now notice it says they were in that region of Bethlehem. Again, we talked about that city of Bethlehem last week. This small, seemingly insignificant city. This city that when we first see it in the Bible, in the book of Judges, it's a city of great rebellion and great tragedy. But yet then we see it in the book of Ruth where God takes this woman named Ruth the Moabite and a man named Boaz and gives us a picture of the gospel in the book of Ruth. A picture of the good news. A picture of the coming Messiah. As Boaz takes in a Gentile who is trusted in God. That's our story. Most of us here were Gentiles who've trusted in the Savior. And it says, in that region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 24-7. That's how a shepherd works. A shepherd has to work around the clock. Shepherds always have to watch the sheep because as soon as they take their eyes off a sheep, the sheep will roam. The sheep will get lost. This group of sheep will go in the wrong place. The shepherd has to watch them. But there's no more important time to watch a sheep than in the night. 
in the night, that's when the wolf's going to come. If a wolf comes, he'll come at night and attack the sheep. So what a shepherd would do is they would build a fence out of rocks. And then that shepherd would sleep right where the gate was to be, making himself actually the gate that any attacking wolf would have to come through. Do you remember Jesus said, I am the gate? Hey, sheep, nobody's getting to you unless they go through the shepherd. Trust the shepherd. He's the door. You're secure. And here, these sheep are, shepherds are out doing their job at night watching this flock. Now, shepherds, they were dirty. They smelled. It was a job that was done typically by young men, 15, 16, 17 years old. Usually, when you became an older man, you passed that job on. This was a job done by young men out in this area. Several years ago, I was in, in Bethlehem, and we were out in the area right outside of Bethlehem. And I looked down and I saw this young man with a stick. And he was a shepherd. Right there in Bethlehem, he had all these sheep with him. You can see in the picture, uh, I got my picture with this. Um, he's actually a Muslim shepherd watching the sheep of Bethlehem. And today, interesting enough, Bethlehem is a predominantly a Muslim city. The majority of people that live there are Muslim. And this man was watching the sheep during the day, watching these not so beautiful looking animals. For thousands of years, shepherds out in the field keeping watch over flocks. But know this, this was the most risky time at night. Wolves could attack. You're going to get sleepy. You could fall asleep. And oftentimes shepherds would work in groups to watch their flocks and have to keep one another awake or they'd have a, a different shift. You're going to stay up at this time, then I'll wake up. And it's in this, these shepherds doing their job, that in verse 9 it says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, any time in Scripture that we see the glory of the Lord show up, men and women are filled with fear. When the glory of the Lord shows up, their response is fear. Why is that? Because our God is holy. Our God is righteous. He's pure. He's beautiful. And when you see how magnificent God is, you recognize, woe is me, a sinner. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. I am not worthy to be in His presence. And they fall to the ground and they are afraid, it says. They're filled, filled with fear is the response of these shepherds. And the angel says to them these beautiful words, Fear not. You see, our relationship with God is one 
that can be filled with fear when we recognize He's holy, we're sinful. We don't meet His righteous standard. And that should bring rightful fear to us. But God says, fear not. I'm going to take care of you. Fear not. I've got you. Fear, fear not, I will comfort you. I will be weary with you. Fear not. 365 times in the Bible these words are said, fear not. I've heard some people say it's one for every day of the year because we are prone to fear. We move quickly toward fear. And often it's not this trembling, terrifying fear, but it's fear of Am I good enough? Fear of, will I be able to raise these children well? Fear of, will I be able to get the job done? All these fears and insecurities come out, and we need to hear these words, fear not. For behold, I love that word behold. It's not like look, it's like take hold of what I'm about to tell you. Gaze into it. Look into it. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Behold this. Here's what the angel says to behold. I bring you good news. That word good news is the exact same word that we translate as gospel. Good news of great joy. Great, immaculate joy that will be for all the people. This good news is for everyone. This good news is sufficient for all. It covers everybody. Not just these Jewish shepherds there that night, but it's sufficient for everyone. He says, to this day, in the city of David, a Savior. A Savior. That word Savior implies something about you and me. We need to be saved. We are drowning. We are headed toward death. And somebody's got to come to our rescue. And the good news of great joy is that today, this Savior that's coming to the rescue has been born. He is Christ the Lord. God himself has took on flesh and entered into the world. What will be the sign for these shepherds? Now we know for the magi that arrived sometime later, their sign was a star. That's the most famous sign. That's the one we talk about the most. But the sign for the shepherds that you found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Jesus' birth is about as lowly as you can get. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. These are not clean, nice baby clothes. Most people, when they have a baby, they want to put them in new, clean cloth. They want to make sure they're in something comfortable, clean. Most people, before they have a baby, they, they prepare in their home somewhere for the baby to sleep. Where's the baby going to be? Jesus 
is put in swaddling clothes. You're going to find this baby, and this baby's sign to you will be poverty, desperation. Nobody would take Joseph and Mary in. They were outcasts. They were scandalous. Mary, she said God gave her this baby. Everybody around them thinking, that doesn't make sense. Mary and Joseph had to sleep in a manger. Or had to sleep in a barn. And they put jo their baby in the place where animals eat. Think about that. Taking a little baby. This young woman's just given birth. Women, mothers, you know how hard, painful, difficult that is? How scary that is? And then you take that baby, surrounded by the place where animals eat, and you put that baby in the place where the animals eat. How do you get any more lowly than that? The place where sheep would come and eat is where they put Jesus. And for the shepherds, that's the sign for you. You go to the place where the sheep go. You go to the place where the sheep eat. And you look there for a baby. That baby's the Savior. For them, this is even shocking. That they would find the baby there wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, where Jesus is born is Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the great city, the city of the nation. It's where every year the temple's there. Every year you come and offer sacrifices at the temple. In fact, at one of the most important holy days of Israel, they would come each year at Passover. And at Passover, Josephus, the historian, records they would sacrifice over 200,000 sheep. Think about that. Every year, 200,000 sheep. Well, where do you get 200,000 sheep? Where do they come from? Well, the fields around Bethlehem, tradition holds, was owned by a group of people called the Sadducees. They were the priest of Jesus' day who owned the fields around Bethlehem and they had made a rule. If you were going to sacrifice a sheep, the sheep has to come within a certain distance of Bethlehem. In the field, I mean, within a certain distance of the temple in Jerusalem. And Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a mere five, seven kilometers from the temple. It's not very far. Many of you drove further to get here this morning than Bethlehem is from Jerusalem. And they would raise these sheep to be sacrificed. Out in the fields, that night Jesus was born, there are shepherds raising sheep for the slaughter. 
They're raising sheep that will be sacrificed so that God would pass over the sins of the nation. So that they would remember that God led them out of slavery in Egypt. And the angels go to these shepherds and say, Hey, these animals you're raising, your job's done. These animals, these sheep being raised for the sacrifice, they're not going to be needed anymore. Because the final sheep has come. The sheep who will be a sacrifice that is sufficient. You won't need 200,000 sheep every year. You have one sheep who will be sacrificed for the sins of the entire world for all time. And you'll find him in a barn just a little bit away, sleeping where the animals eat. That's the announcement that these shepherds receive. That's what they hear. It's interesting. The Sadducees and priests, they were the religious leaders of the nation, and they should have been the ones who told the nation, He's Messiah. All the prophecies, He fulfills them. He's who we've been waiting for. He's from the line of David. He's born in Bethlehem. Instead, they miss him. The announcement doesn't come to the high and lofty religious leaders. It comes to shepherds. Shepherds that if they gave testimony in court, their testimony would not be received unless there were two shepherds. Two shepherds would count as one person. That's how lowly they were. And that's who the birth announcement first comes to. It doesn't come to the Roman leaders. It doesn't come to the leaders of the nation of Israel. It comes to lowly shepherds who many would not believe that He had been born. Those who were serving out in the fields. And in verse 13 it says, Suddenly there was an angel, with the angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. This is our purpose in life. We are here to bring glory to God. Why has God left you here? To bring glory to Him. That's what your life's purpose is. You ever wonder what it is? I think Scripture makes it pretty simple. Your purpose, my purpose, our purpose is to bring glory to God. And here they say, glory to God in the highest. This is the most magnificent announcement ever made. The most important birth announcement is made in the most lowly manner to the most lowly people. Now these shepherds, you've heard me talk about sheep before, uh, if you've been here for a while, but let's just talk about sheep for a minute. I've got a picture of a sheep uh, that I actually took a picture of in Bethlehem. When I grew up, I would see pictures of sheep and they were all very white and fluffy. They looked like you wanted to hug and cuddle them. Look at this sheep. He's dirty. His hair, it's matty. He doesn't smell good. 
Sheep. I mentioned this before, but they're one of the only animals on earth that have virtually no way of protecting themselves. Most animals can do one of three things. They can bite you and hurt you. They can claw you and hurt you. Or they can run faster than you and get away. I mean, just think, any animal you can imagine, they can do one of those three things. It's really difficult to think of an animal who can't. But a sheep, do they have sharp teeth? We see sheep a lot here in Ethiopia. Do they have sharp teeth? No, their teeth are pretty dull. Sheep, have you ever tried to catch a sheep? Are they difficult to catch? Not really. They don't run very fast. They don't have claws. Sheep are one of the few defenseless animals on earth. I've heard some say they're the only defenseless animal. I just haven't researched it enough to say that. No defenses for a sheep. They have one hope. They better have a good shepherd. The only hope for a sheep is they better have a good shepherd. What's the image we get of a shepherd? What's he always holding? You even saw that image of that shepherd I showed you earlier. He's holding a stick. Shepherds would hold a, a stick with a crook in it. Why? That stick could be used to beat away a wolf. That stick with its crook, if a sheep was headed away, the, you could grab the sheep and pull the sheep back near to you and say, stay with the flock. Sheep are also said to be one of the stupidest animals on earth. I have no idea how you figure that out. I guess you watch animals a lot. But they're not very smart, apparently. They need help. There's only one thing that a sheep naturally does well. Follow. That's all a sheep can do well. And they follow other sheep. There's even been reports of sheep that'll walk off a cliff. Guess what the other sheep do? Walk straight off the cliff. They see what their friends are doing, going off the cliff. Ah, that doesn't look like it's going well. I'll do the same thing, walking right off the cliff. Jesus gives a, a parable where he talks about going and looking for the lost sheep. Why is that? Sheep typically stay with the flock. You've got a sheep that roams off from the flock. That sheep's definitely in trouble. We're compared to sheep in the Bible. That doesn't make us feel real good. You're not compared to the strong lion. You're not compared to the fast leopard. You're not compared to the, to the mighty elephant that's hard to, strong and tough to take down. You're compared to a sheep who follows. Think back to when you were a teenager, younger stage of life. It's probably even true of us today. And teens can definitely see this. What do you want to do? What everybody else is doing. You follow, right? That's what we do. We're a lot like sheep. We follow. What's everybody else doing? I'm going to do the same thing. We don't want to stand out. We want to blend in. So we follow just like everybody else. And when everybody starts going the wrong direction, if we're not careful, we join right in. If I want to know how my children are doing, 
One of the first things I look at is, who are they hanging out with? Who are they with? Because whatever their friends are doing, they're likely doing the same thing. And parents, you know that's true because probably most of the really stupid decisions you made in life was because somebody beside you was there going, hey, let's do this, right? Seems like a good idea. And you look and you go, well, that didn't turn out well. We're like these sheep. We follow. That's about all we do really well. And we need a good shepherd. And what was these sheep's purpose? If a sheep does not have a good shepherd, the wolf will destroy the shepherd, the sheep. If the sheep do not have a good shepherd, those sheep are headed toward death. They're going to be sacrificed, right? That's what they're raised for. All people Everybody on earth is headed to the same destination. Because of sin, we are headed toward sacrifice for our sin. Eternal separation from God. Yet we have a good shepherd. He's such a good shepherd that he became a sheep. The good shepherd became a sheep. Think about that. They're going to sacrifice all these sheep at Passover. And in marches the shepherd. He says, don't sacrifice them. I'll take their place. Don't sacrifice those sheep. I'm stepping in their place. The good shepherd became a sheep. Because the sheep were incapable of being a sufficient sacrifice. God Almighty at Christmas took on flesh born as a baby because you and I were incapable of living a perfect, holy, righteous life. We can't live the way life, the way that God intended us to so God Almighty says, I'll come down and do it for you. I'll take the place. My life doesn't deserve death. There's only one person to ever live on the face of the earth who did not deserve death and separation from God, and that's Jesus. He says, hey, I'll take the death. He didn't want to take it. He didn't want to take the cup of separation from God, but he says, I'll do it. For the sheep. I'll take the place of a sheep. So why did the birth announcement come first to shepherds? I hope you can see. Waiting every year. Kill more sheep. Kill more sheep. They're insufficient. They're not enough. Our problem's still there. These sheep don't wash away our sin. These sheep aren't enough. Good shepherd. I'll take the place of the sheep. God Almighty, I'll take on flesh and do what they can't do. This is glorious good news. And he says, on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he's pleased. Who is God pleased in? 
You know there's only one to ever live that God is perfectly pleased in? Only one life has perfectly pleased God the Father. And that's Jesus Christ. And he came to bring peace. Now, since the day Jesus died, there has not been a single year without war. We see war all the time. All we got to do is turn on the news. We've experienced it here. We celebrate when there's a peace agreement. But it's like we see that peace and we go, we're fighting somewhere else. There's war somewhere else. Yes, we should crave peace. Yes, we should desire peace. But you're never going to get the peace you're looking for in this world. It's just not going to come. And that's not the biggest peace you need. Your joy is not going to be found by peace in this world. Your joy is going to be found by peace between you and God. Let me ask you, do you taste peace in your life? He tells them to fear not. I bring peace on earth. Peace between you and God. If you're like me, and like most people, even most Christians, there's seasons where we're more defined by fear than by peace. But let me tell you, God has given us a peace. A peace that surpasses any understanding. A peace that you can't attain on your own. A peace that He gives you because the Good Shepherd's got you. The Good Shepherd's not going to lose you. The Good Shepherd's with you. That's the peace we're given. In Isaiah 53, 6, I'm going to close with just a couple of verses. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. That's all of us. We all have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us. We're like the roaming sheep that's roamed from God. And in the book of Revelation, giving us a picture of, of what is to come, in Revelation 7, 17, it says, For the Lamb, you see, the Good Shepherd became a Lamb. That's Jesus. The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Our shepherd became a sheep. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tears from their, tear from their eyes. In this life, there's reason for tears. There's hardship, there's grief, there's mourning, there's pain, there's struggle, there's suffering. But one day, our good shepherd's going to wipe those from your eye. I've had you all along. I bought you. I paid for you. I sacrificed for you. And now you get to be with me for eternity. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate that God has come to earth on a rescue mission to save us, to do what we couldn't do. And that's a glorious thing. I pray that at this Christmas that we don't miss that. Let me ask you, do you live with peace? 
Life situations will never bring you peace. You're always going to struggle as you bump into other people. You're going to struggle in this life. There's going to be hardship in this life. But we can be a unique people in a world of chaos who live with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus came and said, I come to bring you peace. Do you taste that peace? Is that peace in your life? If it's not, you're like many of us, myself, there's times, seasons where I don't walk with peace. But it's not because God hasn't given it to me. It's because I'm looking to this world to provide something it can't. The world can't give me peace. Only Jesus can. And he entered the world to bring peace on those whom he is pleased. Who is God pleased with? His son, Jesus Christ. And those with whom he says, well done, good and faithful servant who have trusted in the son. Church, may we be a people who as we celebrate Christmas, celebrate that our God came to earth. The good shepherd became a sheep to die like a sheep to bring you peace between you and God. And we're a people who can live with that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is good. It is true. And Lord, I confess in my flesh, there's times I'm unsettled. In my flesh, there's times I'm troubled. In my flesh, there's times most often where I do not live with peace. But Lord, as we walk in the Spirit, as your Spirit fills us, as we hand over our lives to you, laying our lives down, you give us a taste of peace that surpasses all understanding. Because ultimate peace won't be found in this world. Ultimate peace comes between us and you. So God, we thank you that you took on flesh, you entered this world, that the good shepherd became a sheep and died to reconcile us. May we at Christmas celebrate this truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.